Hey there, thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope that the message that you are about to hear not only encourages you, but helps you follow Jesus like never before. If you feel blessed by this teaching, I wanna challenge you to do two things. First of all, share this with someone that you know needs to hear this. And second of all, I want you to consider giving back to the ministry so that other people that just like you could also grow in their relationship with Christ. To do so, simply go to cfmiami.org give, and there you can follow the instructions, all right? Thank you so much. We hope that you enjoy this teaching. Come on, Christ Fellowship. Let's make some noise in this place, in your house, with your family members right now. If you're in your car, driving, if you're at work, make some noise for our glorious and great God. Come on, y'all. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Well, hey, listen, man, my name is Al Williams, and I have the privilege of being one of the teaching pastors here at Christ Fellowship Miami. Also got to give a big shout out to my people, Coral Gables downtown. It is a privilege to serve you guys as your campus pastor. Well, we're doing something a little different to kick off the new year here. We really want to help you guys uh, really realign your focus to what God is doing. You see, next week we're going to be hearing from our lead pastor, our senior pastor, Pastor Omar, and he's going to be talking about God's vision, yes, for the Capital C Church, but in particular for us as a church here in Miami and what God is going to be doing with us here in this city. And so today I really want to focus on and talk about you. I want to talk about you and your walk with God. What is the vision that God has for you in your life today? And so that's what we're going to be talking about. We didn't come to do no shout outs. We came to dive into the word. Amen. So if you got your Bibles, you can pause the video if you need to go get your Bible right now. Right. Uh, we're going to be in Ezra chapter seven, Ezra chapter seven. And our vision today is going to be coming from verses seven all the way down to verse 10. And we're going to focus in on verse 10. So here we are. It's going to be Ezra chapter 7, starting in verse 7 all the way down to verse 10. And it reads like so, verse 7. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests, and some of the Levites, and singers, and gatekeepers, and the temple servants. In verse 8, Here's our hero of the day. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. And here's our little interactive part. Y'all know me. We got to read this out big, nice, loud, and slow. Shout it out in your house. Shout it out in your office. Shout it out in the car, right? Here's what it says here. It says, for, here we go, the good hand of his God was on him. Amen and amen. Here's our verse we're focused in on is verse 10 here. And here's our crowd participation again. It says, for Ezra had, ready, one, two, three, set his heart to study the law of the Lord. And here we go, to do it. And the last one, and to teach it. Let's try it one more time. And to teach his statutes and rules in all of Israel. Well, if you're taking notes today, and I hope you are, I would love to title this message, The Good Hand 
of God, the good hand of God. We're going to need God's help to understand his word and to live it out. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, we're so thankful for what you're doing here in your city. God, we are thankful that we have the moment now to open up your word and understand what you have written to us, God. We do ask for more light to understand your word and then to walk it out, to live it out. Help us to have that courage and that boldness to obey what you have written to us. Lord, if there's anyone who is troubled right now, would you bring them peace? If there's anyone who uh, doesn't exactly know what to do, God, would you send about guidance and maybe those who got a little off track? Lord, help us to be back on the right pace with you. God, I do ask now that you would guide my thoughts and govern my words so that the meditations of my heart are pleasing in your sight. Lord, would you please speak now for all of your servants are listening. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Well, uh, recently, my wife, Aubrey, or Mookie, those of you who watched before, yes, we're pet name people. Judge me, I don't care. Bless you. But me and Aubrey, we were looking for a new knife set because we have the same knife set since we first got married, and it is taking a beating. It is time for some new knives. So, of course, we're going through and looking for these knives and everything, and I run across this one that I'm like, why does this knife look huge, and why is it so much? It was like $10,000. Bless the lamb. And so, of course, me, I go down the rabbit hole of studying this. What is this all about? And I find out this isn't a knife. That's not a knife. Shout out to Crocodile Dundee. But he goes, this, was a, this wasn't a knife. It was a sword. And not just any sword, a katana. And so, of course, I start researching all this stuff. Like, what makes this thing so expensive? And I find out that this katana is the most famous weapon used for samurais back in the day. But what, what brings about the price of this sword is the process of how it was made. You know, what's so very fascinating about this sword is that there is a master sword maker. There is a, the master craftsman, this master blacksmith, so to speak, and he has an apprentice that works with him. And the whole point is that the master has a vision for how the sword is to look, and his apprentice then is to align himself with the vision of the master to bring about the product they're looking for. And one of those things that takes a while that helps reinforce this steel is called the folding of the sword, which is the third step in this nine-step process of making this sword that can take upward to 18 months to make. Talk about time and price. The folding of the sword is where they take this, uh, this steel and put it in this incredibly hot heat, this incredibly hot furnace. They're getting close to this furnace, pull that out, and then they begin to bang this uh, edge of the sword up and uh, fold it over and then bang it down into the other portion of the sword to reinforce this steel. And the whole time, the apprentice is aligning himself to the vision that the master has for what's happening with the sword. Now, it's a silly illustration, but can I tell you, for us as believers, in order for you to have any sort of spiritual success in your life, my friend, can I tell you, you must be in alignment with God. Someone say, amen. And so here's what I want to get across to all of us today. Very plain and simple. Here's our big idea, the take home. What I want you to remember is that God's desire is for you to grow in your spiritual vision in your life. Listen, by aligning your vision 
to his. God's desire is for you to grow in your spiritual vision in your life by aligning your vision to God's vision. And so you may be asking yourself the question, well, how do I align my vision with God's? Good question. Glad you asked. We're going to find out in our text today. And I want to help us out because this, I want this to be the, the mantra that we could repeat all throughout 2022. Here's how you align yourself with God's vision. Here's how you get yourself in step, in focus with God's vision. And it's this, is to study, to practice, and to teach. To study, to practice, and to teach. As a matter of fact, in your homes and on the computer, in the car, wherever you're at right now, say this with me, repeat it with me, say study, practice, teach. And we're going to find out what all of this means with the studying of the Word of God, the practicing of the Word of God, and to teach the Word of God. So uh, write this down then as your first point is that we need to study God's Word. We need to study God's Word. Before we dive back into our text, I got to give us some background so you understand what's happening here. You see, the children of Israel had been taken out of their land and been conquered by uh, Babylonia. And what had happened at this time was that they were now able to go back into their land and they built the kingdom of God. They rebuilt the temple of God and they got these different things ready. And then they forgot about God and, and went along and forgot about what God's vision was for his people and started following their own vision. You see? And so now here we are, 80 plus years later, and the people are now coming back into the city and they're kind of entering back in in waves. It kind of makes me think about this pandemic that we've gone through, how places open up in waves or places that close down in waves. This is exactly what is happening with the children of Israel. And as they're headed back into the city, this group is headed back and the midst of them is a preacher. And this is where we pick up in our text today. So here we are, Ezra chapter 7, starting in verse 7, and it says, And there went up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, uh, the king. I want to make a side note. I love this in the scriptures because Artaxerxes is a guy who's talked about in history outside of the Bible. And the Bible has given us the insight of what happened here in this story. History tells how Artaxerxes let Israel go back into their land, but we don't know the backhand story. And we get it right here in this book and in Nehemiah as well. It's wonderful. And so, but here's what happens. It says, King Artaxerxes. And it says, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites and singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants, they're getting ready to align their vision with God. Look at the people headed back into the city. But then here it is, verse 8. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. And I love this part. For the good hand of God was on him. Why is God's good hand on him? What is he doing to cause the good hand of God to be upon him? We're going to see in this next verse here. And it says this in verse 10, for Ezra had set his heart. I have to stop and make a moment about this. If you're a person that highlights in your Bible and writes in your Bible, this is the perfect time to do it. Circle it, underline it, underscore it, highlight it, whatever you want to do. This word had set his heart. Literally the picture in the Hebrew is to place in order 
to have your, uh, literally it's the picture of when God says, my people's face are hard as flint, meaning that their minds will not change. And here's what Ezra's mind was, his mind would not change on being devoted to these studies and practice and teaching of the word of God. And so I just want to stop and encourage all of us in here today, my friends, just how you you start a diet in the new year, you got a financial plan in the new year, you must have total tunnel vision on what you're trying to accomplish. And can I tell you, there is no way you're going to find any spiritual growth in your life if you are not tunneled in on this vision of God's growth in your life and you for your own life. And so then here's what happens. Ezra had his heart set, listen, to study the law of the Lord. That word study there in the Hebrew is the picture. It's to seek with careful attention. To seek after with careful attention. It makes me think about, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, every time I go back home around Christmas time and all that, uh, I'll go see my, I got uh, three little nephews and, uh, you know, they crazy. And the baby, he's just like me. That's my dog. And so, you know, I'm walking in the Target or wherever we were. And, uh, and I'm like, okay, guys, you know, go do your thing, whatever y'all want. And uh, the baby, he's like, uncle, I'm going to be in the toy section. Come find me. I'm like, no doubt. So, of course, you know, I'm going to do my thing. And then I go to the toy section and my man is not there. And I'm like, oh, Lord, my brother is about to strangle me. I lost his kids already. <laughs> and let me tell you. Everywhere I'm looking in the store, I'm, oh man, and everything I'm doing, I am seeking around every single corner looking for my little nephew. And then, of course, I find this guy like way over in the fishing section, like, isn't this cool? (laughs) But see, I was seeking him out. Everywhere I was going in the store, I had careful attention. And that's exactly what Ezra was doing when it came to the Word of God. And that's what you and I need to do when it comes to the Word of God. We need to seek it out with careful attention, turn it over page by page to understand and the beauties written within to us. I want to encourage you in here. You guys can look this up. I want to read a passage of Scripture to you. This is found in Psalm chapter 1 of the Talim uh, from my uh, Hebrews and Shebrews out there. My dog Chuck at the Coral Gables campus. Big shout out. Hey. Uh, so here's this. This is Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. And it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. That's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. Walk, stand, sit. That's a whole other sermon. But listen to this, verse two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Can I tell you a careful study of God's word? It doesn't involve just digging through it and running through it in the text. It also involves meditation, meaning a turning over in your mind. It's the picture of the cow who would eat the grass and then swallow it back down and then bring it back up and chew it again later and swallow it back down. It's a disgusting thing to think about the cow doing that. But for us, we need to have the word of God in our minds where we're thinking about it throughout the day. You read it in the morning on your way to work. You think about that verse you were just reading. And then when you're at lunch, you can bring up that verse you were just reading. You need to meditate on the word of God. I feel like this is a lost art sometimes times in our culture because everything's so fast, so here and now, and meditation is a slow process. But can I tell you, there's a blessing in it when you study God's Word, and you're not just studying it, but you meditate on it. You turn it over and over and over again. I would love to challenge all of us in here today uh, because we're going to be talking about, man, we need to study our Bibles, memorize the Word, and I would love to challenge all of us in here today to pick a book 
for the year that you would like to study with your family and just turn that book over and over again. If you read Titus, it's three chapters. Read Titus for a year. You may not know all the other books of the Bible, but you will be an expert in Titus. And can I tell you, no, no word of God is void of its power. Come on, somebody. I can hear Nigel right now. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, amen to that. It's the truth, right? And so we have to meditate on God's word, studies God's word. Uh, and I also encourage you guys, go look this up. Um, um, in our five sola series, Pastor Carlos had sola scriptura, and he talked about Psalm 19, the careful study of the word of God and the power of the word of God. I encourage you all to go back and to watch that series. But then also uh, write this down. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in all of Scripture, 176 verses long, all dedicated to, all committed to the study of the Word of God. And it shows the importance of this. And here's what I love about this psalm is when you go through and you're looking in your Bibles right now, you'll see the word in front of the of verse one. It says Aleph, and it's a weird looking letter. And then you'll see eight verses. Then it says bait, and it's a weird-looking letter. Then it says gimel and weird-looking letters. This is the Hebrew alphabet. Some scholars believe that actually Ezra wrote Psalm 119 during this time of what we're reading about in our text because he wanted the people to revitalize their vision for the Word of God and the importance of the Word of God in our everyday life. I love that. I wanted to read one verse of scripture here in Psalm 119, and this is found in verse 98, and it says, your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. You see, a careful study of the word of God not only helps us to know and understand God, and, and when we meditate on it, we can build in our relationship with God, but can I tell you, it also protects you from the attack of the enemy. It makes you aware of his schemes. This makes me think about... Uh, a tiger. Shout out to the Tiger King. Y'all remember that song? I saw tiger. God bless. But the tiger is such a crafty animal. And really the way they would attack their prey, everything has to deal with their vision. You know, when you see them, they can, if you, even when you see them, the way their, uh, their, their fur and everything looks, it's like they can blend in with their background. But a, a, a tiger is all about vision. See, there was a tribe in Africa where uh, the people were being attacked by these tigers, and it wasn't until some of the elders of the village went on and they studied what was happening, why these tigers would attack, and they realized that the tiger is all about vision. And so what they did with the people was, is they were telling them, you cannot break eye contact if you run across the tiger. And then they made masks for the people with a face and everything on it and big eyes, and they would wear this mask behind them so that no tiger could then sneak up on them. But this came from a careful study of their enemy, of their adversary, that they then had a plan of what to do. And can I tell you, when you study God's word, no matter what's going on, no matter what's happening in life, it can ground you and it can keep you. And then it can also protect you from the evil one. Someone say, amen. And it's the truth with a careful study of the word of God. Now, y'all know me. You got to keep praying for your boy. Because a sermon ain't a sermon without quoting Charles Spurgeon. Come on, y'all. Chuck, uh, look at that man. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon had this to say when he was a young man. He said, a Bible that is falling apart 
usually belongs to someone who isn't. A Bible that is falling apart because they've turned it over and over again and read through pages over and over again, it usually belongs to someone who isn't falling apart because they have done careful study and meditation of the Word of God and they know the truths found therein. Can I tell you, my friends, if you want to align your vision to God's, somebody say you must study God's Word. Then this leads us to our second point. Not only did Ezra just study God's word, he practiced it. Look back down at verse 10. It says, for Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it. It was his plan then to not just hear God's word. It was his plan to then obey it. I think it's James chapter 4, verse 17, that he says, a man who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him, it is sin. God is saying, when you study his word, you no longer are now inexcusable for going out and disobeying the word of God. He is holding you accountable to then obey his word. Everybody look at this. This is from the mouth of Jesus, the night he is going to be betrayed. This is found in John chapter 13. John chapter 13, starting in verse 13. I would like to read this. And here's Jesus speaking, and he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am so. Verse 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also wash one another's feet. Here it is. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master. I'm thinking about the master and the apprentice in the beginning. Okay, keep praying. A servant is no greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Highlighted, underscore, verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you what? Do them. God does not just want holy hearers. He wants people to do his word, to then obey his word. I think about when I was uh, a little dude growing up and uh, my dad, you know, uh, he always tell us, clean your room. You know, Saturday was cleaning day and clean your room. You know, that's when we would just take everything, throw it in the closet, slam the door closed. And they'd be like, dad, check it out. And then he'd open the closet and he'd be like, clean. But could you imagine if my dad said, clean your room? And then he comes upstairs to the room and he's looking around, he sees everything and it's all dirty. And I go, dad, dad, listen, listen, listen. I know I didn't clean, but I memorized the words. Listen, listen, look and watch me, dad. Clean your room. Huh? What do you think? I even memorized it in Hebrew, right? No, he's not going to be impressed with that. I'm glad you know it. Do what I told you to do. It's even the picture of uh, living downtown. You see a lot of uh, traffic lights and street lights. And and so on one hand, yes, it's good that you know the right thing to do, but you must then obey it. Can you imagine you see a stoplight and then just, boof, blow right through that thing? There are consequences that then take place and have to happen. See, my friends, it does us no good to just study God's word. We have to. We must. Obey. And so somebody say then, uh, how do you grow in your spiritual vision? You've got to study God's word. And then secondly, you have to practice it. You have to do this, carry it out in your everyday 
life. And then third and finally, you have to teach it. You have to teach the Word of God. You have to teach it. And we're going to explain some more what this means and what we're talking about here. Going back to Ezra. It says, For Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, listen, and to teach his statutes and rules. This word teach here in the Hebrew is the picture of, yes, a teacher giving instructions so that the one hearing is learning, but then also it gives the picture of the teacher themselves are learning. I think about right now at our Coral Gables and downtown campus, uh, one of our uh, community engagement uh, leaders, Helen, she's a teacher. And can I tell you, Helen can tell you, you can't teach a subject you don't know. And then she often says there are times where she'll be teaching in her classroom and there's little bitty things that kind of come to her like, oh, wow, that was interesting. Yes. And she's learning even within herself. And so for us, that's exactly what God has called us to do. Yes, to hear the word of God, but then to teach it. Everybody write this down, highlight this, underscore it, look it up. Colossians 3.16, it says, let the word of God dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. See, this is not just uh, to any one person, not just to a man only. It's to everyone. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another so that you may grow thereby. I think about... um I think about this when uh, uh, teaching with, the, with God's word, because maybe uh, some of you, you could be sitting there and you're like, you know what? Well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a, you know, that's not for me. And God has called all of us to speak his word. I think about Romans chapter 10, where he says, well, how will people hear without a preacher? How will people hear without someone saying it? I think it was uh, the famous uh, St. Francis of Assisi who uh, said, uh, uh, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And it's like, you know, that's cool. I get what you're saying. Our life should always be uh, displaying the word of God. But can I tell you, you got to tell somebody the good news. You have to tell them the gospel that Jesus came and died for our sin and then rose again so that we, if we believe in him, we may have life everlasting. You got to tell them this, you see? And so... It doesn't, this isn't just to the preacher. This isn't just to the pastor. It's to all of us. The word of God must dwell in us and we must be ready to explain. We must be ready to teach. I think about this in my life with uh, my mom, Dukes. If you're watching, what's up, girl? How you feeling, mom? But, uh, Duke, she used to always say when we were kids, even before, you know, we wasn't saved and walk out the house, she was always doing lessons with us. Like I remember one day she came home and was covered in band-aids, you know, and taught us a lesson on the power of our words. You know, there was another time she turned all the lights off in the house and turned one light on in the corner of the house and talked about being the light of the world. And we stand out in the cul-de-sac like, mom, it's cold outside. Let us go in. But one thing she used to always do, and this was a quick teaching moment. This is for my parents in here. This is a quick teaching moment. Uh, before we used to go out, me and my brother, we'd leave the house and my mom, she would always just stop and go, hey boys, love you guys. And then she'd go, choose life. And they'd be like, come on girl, you know what I'm about to do. I'm choosing life in prison if I get caught tonight. I'm playing, I'm praying for your boy. But I'll be like, man, it stuck with us. And there were so many times that just those simple phrasings that she would say to us, it would stick with me and it caused me to be like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to do that. 
because of that teaching of my mother, it stuck with me to choose life. And so maybe I want to encourage us in here. We need to grow in our spiritual vision. We need to grow in our spiritual vision. And how do you do that? Man, by studying the word of God and practicing God's word in your everyday life and teaching it, it'll naturally come out of you, you know? I think about my different friends who I have uh, that are, um, are different uh, workers, brokers, and these guys, they study numbers all day. They study the numbers all day, and what they're doing is numbers all day. And then when I go and I talk to them, and we could be talking about a cheeseburger, somehow it winds up back to numbers. It winds up back to something with this, or look at this. And, and so let me tell you, the more you put in God's word in your life, it's just naturally going to come out of you. But maybe you're sitting there in your house or at your job or in the car right now and you're thinking to yourself, uh, this is a little overwhelming. It can be difficult to handle. I want to encourage you um, with some words from a, a, a pastor who uh, has been a part of or who's been a part of Miami for so, so long. And this is the most famous Dr. C. Roy Angel. Those of you who, uh, if you ever come to Miami and you take a, a, a minute to visit our uh, downtown campus, you will meet, I call her at our downtown Coral Gables campus, I call her the mama of the house, and uh, this is Mama Jenny Sue. This was Mama Jenny Sue's pastor as a young girl growing up in this church, and she tells all these wonderful stories about him, and, uh, and I learned so many different things about Dr. Angel. What an incredible preacher and pastor he was. You know, he came to Miami in 1936, and he actually was, uh, he, he brought down the Southern Baptist Convention to Miami, and uh, actually, he was the guy who orchestrated, if you ever come to Miami, you, go, you know, you're living here, and you go to Baptist Hospital, he was the one to orchestrate these things together. That photo that we just uh, put up of him is the photo that's in Baptist Hospital. Dr. Angel was quite the man, and he was also had a very well-known uh, preaching and um, radio ministry. But Dr. Angel was most known for his storytelling. He was an incredible communicator. His most famous sermon, which I'll talk about someday, was called The Second Mile, and this really transformed the city of Miami. But another sermon that he preached was called Iron Shoes. It was called Iron Shoes. And this was based on Deuteronomy 33, verse 25, where God gives the children of Israel three promises, and he says, I will give you iron shoes to walk through this, uh, to give you strength, because they were getting ready to go through some trials. And for all of us in the listening right now, or in the rooms right now, we all know what this is like. We're, we have all been through some things, amen, and we don't know what uh, the beginning of 2022 and all this stuff is going to hold. But we need this promise and understanding that God has given us iron shoes, that he'll be with us. And so Dr. Angel tells a story of uh, the famous preacher, Dr. Alexander McLaren, who... Um, was a preacher, actually, during the time of Charles Spurgeon. Hey, big shout out. But this guy, Dr. McLaren, he, at 16 years old, was uh, invited to be the pastor of a church inside the city, which was six miles from his home. And he then would walk into the city, and there's a portion in the city where there's a great ravine and a very small bridge. And uh, this bridge was uh, said to have been haunted. 
because people had died on this bridge and these different things. And Dr. Uh, uh, Alexander McLaren, he was afraid to walk through this bridge, even in the daytime, forget the nighttime, right, on this six-mile walk. And so he was headed out um, Monday morning to walk there, and he would stay for the week, and that way he could walk back uh, at night. And his dad said, son, please come back home Saturday night. This is the first time you have been away from home this long. It will feel like you have been gone a year. Please come back Saturday night. And Alexander McLaren, thinking about that bridge, was like, Dad, <laughs> no, you know, I'll catch you on my, I'll come back Sunday morning. Don't worry. And his dad was like, please, son, come back Saturday. Please come back Saturday. And so, of course, you know, being a good son, he's like, yeah, Dad, I got you. I'll be back there Saturday. And so all week he's thinking about this, dreading this, uh, afraid of doing this walk by himself all week. And so then finally Saturday came and McLaren says that uh, he was walking and he was humming and singing to himself to kind of like get himself upbeat, to get himself hyped up. Have y'all ever been there before where you're like, you're about to do something, you're like, let me put some worship on. Okay, Jesus, here we go, right? So that's him, he's singing, he's walking to get a little upbeat. And then he approaches the bridge and he says his heart is racing and pounding. And he tries to sing a little louder. And then he says he hears rustling. And he said he began to cry like, oh, no, this is, this is going to happen. And then he says he was getting ready to take off to run. But then he recognized that these footsteps coming toward him were familiar footsteps. And he stops and he takes a moment and looks and of course, out of the dark shadow comes his father. And he said, uh, I couldn't wait to see you, and I didn't want you to make the journey alone. And so Alexander uh, McLaren and his father walked across that dark valley, that dreaded bridge, shoulder to shoulder, and enjoyed their walk home. Can I tell you, that's exactly what our God does with us. God is going to be the one to walk with us in the midst of our study, in the midst of our practice, and in the midst of our teaching, because it is his vision for our lives. He will be the one to walk with us and, and to carry us through this. But I would be remiss in here, family, to not address maybe some of those who are watching online or who are in one of our rooms right now, or if you're at your office or wherever you're at. And you've gotten off track. Your vision is not in alignment with God's. I want to encourage you with this. You must understand that because when God created man, man sinned and it broke this incredible relationship that we have with God, the incredible vision of man freely living and walking with God. But God being the incredible visionary that he is had a plan for salvation. And he sent Jesus and Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. And can I tell you, listen, Jesus studied God's word. Jesus practiced God's word. Jesus taught God's word, leaving us an example that we should follow. And then here's what's unique is that he died our death. He died the death for sin, but he then rose on the third day, showing that he defeated death, hell, sin, and the grave. And the scriptures are clear in Romans 10, chapters 9 and 10, that if you call on the name of Jesus, you you will be saved. So if that's you in here right now, take a moment and just keep it real with them. Tell God, my vision has gotten off 
from yours, God. Tell him what you've done. Ask him for forgiveness. And then say, Lord, help me to walk in your vision. Help me to carry out what you've given to your people. And I promise you, he will be with you. And so family, how do we align our vision to God's vision in 2022? To steal a a line from uh, Dr. Angel, Mama Jenny Sue said uh, whenever he'd make a strong point to the congregation, he'd lean over the pulpit and go, beloved. And that's me today telling you, beloved, the way you align your vision to God's is by studying the word of God, practicing the word of God, and teaching his word. And I guarantee you, my friend, you will have the good hand of God in your life. Amen. Amen and amen. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord, we're thankful for your word and the clarity in your word. God, help us to never take it lightly that we can freely study your word. Give us the spiritual energy, stamina, power, and strength to then practice your word, to then do your word. And then lastly, God, help us to teach it, whether we're in the pulpit or we're all the way changing diapers, wherever in between, God. Help us to be uh, ready people to speak on your behalf, God. We are excited to see what you're going to do in the lives of your people in the year of 2022, Lord. May Christ Fellowship continue to be light to this city and not just this city, but the world. We're excited to see what you're going to do, Father. Have your way, Lord. Help us as a church now throughout 2022 to study, practice, and teach. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Well... Y'all already know me to steal from my dog, Pastor Mark Croston. Ah, Pastor Mark, what's up? I love God and I love you, Christ Fellowship. We'll see you guys soon.